You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to talk about the overhead squat assessment, but just one component of it. We're just going to talk about the anterior view of the overhead squat assessment. So we're going to go into how I set people up for the overhead squat assessment, the common things that you're going to see, and then here's the good part, how to actually address it. How do we address it once we see it? I know I've read some stuff in the book, but what do I actually do? Well, we won't talk about that today. So let's get into it today. We're talking about the overhead squat assessment anterior view. So here's what I do. Now, y'all know this overhead squat assessment is a big deal. It's one of those research-backed assessments that allows us to get a nice general overview of what's going on in somebody's body when it comes to movement quality, movement dysfunction, alignment, things like that. So it's just going to give us an idea. It doesn't tell us everything. It is not the end-all be-all, but it is an excellent, an excellent assessment. So let's talk about this assessment. Now, when I get somebody to go into an overhead squat assessment, this is exactly what I do. Ready? I say, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand right here in front of me. And then I stand exactly the way I want them to stand. And I tell them to mirror me. So stand here with your feet straight ahead. Now I'm standing with my feet about hip to shoulder width apart. I don't like to go too wide, but I certainly don't want them to be incredibly narrow. So hip width apart is really if you go to where your ASISs are, those bony notches on the front of your pelvis, then I like to align that either the center foot, the center of my feet, if I drew a line straight down, or the instep of my feet. Now, if I say shoulder width apart, I'm not talking about deltoids. Now, some of these people are super jacked and their deltoids go really far out. So they look like they're doing sumo squats if they're shoulder, if they're deltoid width apart. I'm talking about shoulder joint, which is really not that wide, not that far wider than hip width apart. But I like to give them a little bit of range and they can work with. But here's the thing. Feet straight ahead. Second and third toe straight ahead. Not the big toe straight ahead because some people's big toes are a little out to the side, you know? So we're going to keep the center of the foot straight, second and third toe straight. If we are on, if I'm on a pair of skis, you are on the same pair of skis facing me completely straight ahead. They do not turn out and then we look at a neutral foot and ankle so neutral foot we're going straight ahead neutral ankle do a little inversion a little bit eversion find your center point neutral hips anterior posterior tip find your neutral find your in between and then we take the arms up overhead now I get the question a lot about what position do the palms go in I usually go up and my, the blade of my my hands are pointing straight ahead but some people will hold a dowel uh, overhead, which is also great. It gives you another view of the, the dowel, which is like a rod. And that rod gives you an idea if something's a little bit uh, cattywampus as well. Uh, and so if they're holding on to that and the palms are straight ahead, then some people go, well, should it be palms forward or should it be uh, the blade of the hand forward? So the palms facing each other while their arms are up overhead. Uh, and so a couple of things. One, your arms are almost in a, in a Y position. 
So they're not straight overhead. They're kind of in a, in a Y, like YMCA uh, chant, or you throw the arms up in a Y position. Not too wide and not straight overhead, just a nice Y position. Blade of the hand or palm of the hand, which one faces forward? Well, here's the thing. That's usually the only change if I go overhead is that's that's a movement. I'm showing the movement for those watching on Facebook or the YouTube channel. Um, that's a radio ulnar movement. There's almost zero movement coming from my actual shoulder joint from internal or external rotation. So here's the thing. It doesn't really matter that much. It doesn't matter that much because it's just radio ulnar, supination or pronation as you go into that. And then, so once we get that all kind of set up, they uh, line your feet up with me, neutral position, all right, arms up overhead. And then I say, now you stay right there and watch me squat. All right, and I'll go and I'll do a few squats and they look spectacular, by the way. <laughs> oh, I wish, right? It's, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, that is something that you just continually work at because you're repeatedly given things to work on when you can check your movement patterns. And so sometimes my overhead squat is actually really quite nice. It looks pretty good. And for the majority of people out there watching me squat, they wouldn't be able to find anything. For those that have a really keen eye, they'd be able to spot quite a few things and then be like, I don't know if you know, did you notice this about your whatchamadu and this? And you know, people are so smart. They can point out some things. Uh, and so there are little things with my squat. So I'll, I'll say, why don't you do this? Watch me squat. And as soon as I'm done, I'll say, all right, now your turn. Now you squat. I'm going to watch you squat. And usually, here's the thing. From an anterior view, and that's all we're talking about today, what I see from the front. From an anterior view, I want at least five squats. Usually, I have them squat relatively slowly. But you may also notice when they squat slowly, then it's like there's far too much effort going into the squat for them to be just easily squatting so you know that they're trying to cover something up. They're trying to force themselves to look good. So what I might do is I might just say, okay, cool, now just go up and down a few times relatively quickly, and then I might have them go slow again and just change how fast they move, how slow they move. And that gives me a better idea. What I might even do is just walk around them, not paying attention to really anything else. Once I get back to the, you know, kind of you get to the side or you get to the back, they're no longer paying attention to what they're trying to cover up on the front. So when you get back around to the front again, all right, now we're starting to see some compensations. And now we're starting to see some of the things that they're letting themselves do that they may have been forcing um, tight before. Five squats from the front, only paying attention to two areas primarily, feet and knees. That's it. We're looking at the feet and knees. Oh, here's the thing. Feet and the knees, that makes it a little bit easier because there's so much that you can look at. You can get lost in all of the things looking at the whole body. So just look at those two things. Just look at those two things. What are the most common things that are going to happen at the feet and the knees? Well, here they are. The feet commonly will move out, so they'll start to point away from each other. Remember, we had them completely straight ahead. And after we do a few squats, the heels are in towards the midline. The toes are pointing away from the midline. They are no longer making a, uh, a straight line on each side completely parallel. Now your feet are shaped like a V. That's probably the most common thing. Additionally, you might also see the, fleet, the feet flatten in that. So we're still looking at the feet. So feet turn out and the feet may flatten. 
The other big thing that you'll see as we move up the kinetic chain most commonly are that the knees go in. So the knee knock position or what we refer to as a valgus position, knee valgus or genu valgus, which is uh, where the knees go in. Valgus, here's, a, here's the technical terminology. Valgus is technically the abduction of the distal portion of a bone. So if you look at the tibia, which is that bone and, or the fibula, right? They should be moving together. Uh, so if it, you see the abduction of the distal portion of the bone, then that's a knee knock position. That is a valgus. So they're in a valgus position. Sometimes you get people purposely doing their knees out into what's called a varus position or a bow legged position. And a lot of times we see that a lot these days because people think that's how you're supposed to squat. Uh, and I'm not necessarily opposed to the, the knees being out a bit. I like them just to be lined up within, within the foot. Sometimes I have people squat with their knees bowed out with a loop around their knees just to get a little extra strength um, in their abduction while they're doing some bodyweight squats as an activation for the glute medius. And even the glute maximus would be uh, preferentially activated like that. So I might have people squat that way, but I usually don't have people squat resistance with their knees out. So feet straight ahead, and we are looking at those particular things. Well, look, uh, or, or feet out, knees in combo. You get the combo, the one-two punch. And that's commonly seen as well. So how do we address some of these things? Well, first of all, let's talk about feet being turned out. What would we do if that's the thing that we're looking at? One is we're going to look at self-myofascial release, or we don't say release anymore. I'm so used to saying it. I have to get used to saying self-myofascial rolling uh, or foam rolling. And what you would do is initially you could address the lateral gastroc because the lateral gastroc, as it crosses on the lateral side of the knee, has an, a lateral rotation at the knee joint, which could cause the foot to turn out. Same thing with the short head of the biceps femoris. So lateral gastroc, short head of the biceps femoris, biceps fem crosses over the lateral part of the knee, and it's got a pull on the lateral side, it does external rotation. We think about flexion and extension at the knee, but there's also medial and lateral rotation. So it can create a lateral rotation causing the feet to turn out. The TFL can do that as well. What? How? Well, the TFL attaches to the iliotibial band, the IT band. So it wraps around the lateral side of that IT band. It can create uh, a knee knock position, but it can also create a lateral rotation of the tibia. Particularly, these start to take place when the knee flexes because as the knee is extended, you don't see it as much because you're in a closed packed position and it doesn't have a rotational capacity that much in full extension. But as the knee starts to bend, its rotational capacities really pick up, which is why you see them in an overhead squat. Also, there is a single leg squat assessment. If you see the knees knock in an overhead squat with two legs, it's going to do that on a single leg. So if it's very significant, you may not need to see them uh, perform a single leg squat. Okay, let's keep going with this now. Don't get sidetracked here. We talked about if the feet turn out, lateral gastroc, the biceps femoris, the TFL, 
Here's another one that isn't direct in lateral rotation, but indirectly, it is a part of lateral rotation. It is the soleus. Well, why the soleus? Because the soleus doesn't cross the knee. It doesn't have a lateral rotational component at the knee to create rotation out. In fact, the soleus is a supinator, and usually we see a lot of pronation with this. But, but uh, soleus does sagittal plane dorsiflexion, right? We're, uh, well, sorry, it does plantar flexion, does sagittal plane plantar flexion. It, if we have a tight soleus, we are limited in our dorsiflexion. If I'm limited in my sagittal plane dorsiflexion and I'm still trying to get down deeper, what am I going to do? I'm going to cheat by stealing from the frontal plane where my arch will collapse. I'm going to steal again from the transverse plane where my feet turn out. And now suddenly I can get deeper into my squat, but it is not because I have increased range of motion at my foot and ankle. It's because I moved out of position where I don't need that range of motion to get down that deep in a squat. That's why people uh, squat with their heels elevated. That's why there are lifting platforms on shoes. They have these platform shoes to do squats with a, little, with, with, with a significant grade at the bottom of it. So that puts you in plantar flexion, increased plantar flexion. So when you go down into a squat, the amount of dorsiflexion you get into is really not that much because you've been given excessive plantar flexion. So that's a couple of the things to pay attention to. We also could look at flat feet, and that would be the last component of it. Like if your feet start to flatten, if you see the feet flattening, then maybe you want to do some self-myofascial rolling on the fibularis complex, formerly known as the peroneal complex. So the lateral side of the lower leg along the, the tibia, which is, uh, uh, sorry, the fibula, which is why it's called the fibularis muscles. They run along where the fibula, the small bone in the lower leg is. All right, static stretching, all those muscles. Now we're going to 30 second hold stretch in all of those muscles. That's going to be our uh, lateral gastroc, our bicep swimmers, our TFL, uh, our soleus. So we're just stretching the calf complex, potentially the fibularis complex. And then we move into the activations. Now, when you do your activations, we're looking at about 10 to 15 repetitions, slow, focused, and really pay attention to the eccentric phase. You can also do positional isometrics, but for right now, we're going to focus on full range of motion exercises. You could do exercises for muscles like the tibialis anterior. So that's the front of the, the shin right next to your tibia. On the front lateral side is your tibialis anterior. I like to do something called heel walking, which is where I pull my feet up, uh, my toes off the ground, my the balls of my feet are off the ground. I'm walking just on the heels. I actually slightly invert my foot because the tibialis anterior inverts as well. So now I'm dorsiflexed and I'm inverted. Sometimes I even have them crunch their toes because when I do that, the toe extensors are now inhibited and my tibialis anterior has to work a little bit more. So I might do that, that exercise, heel walking for the tibialis anterior. Other exercises beneficial. I need to work my glute medius. 
So there are things like clamshells where you lie on your side, 90-90 position at your hips and your knees, keep your feet together, Put maybe put a loop around your knees, pulling the knees apart and back together like a clamshell, opening and closing, focusing on the eccentric 10 to 15 repetitions. You can do standing uh, band walk. So there's a lateral band walk or a lateral side steps. I usually take the mini loops and I put it around just above my knees and I do a side step touch, side step touch, side step touch, side step. That was basically my, my best dance move in sixth grade and I've progressed zero from then. So still my best dance move. So side step touch with band, glute medius activation. What about medial hamstrings? So if my lateral hamstrings, my biceps femoris is short, tight, overactive, then my medial hamstrings, the semi-sisters, semi-membranosis, semi-tendinosis, they could be increased in how much they activate. So I can do something that I call long lever diamond bridges. Yo, Rick, what is a long lever diamond bridge? Well, all right, diamonds are forever. Uh, think about... Jay-Z, throw your hands up, diamonds in the air. So fingers are touching like this. So you're creating the diamond. Well, what we would be doing is a glute bridge on the ground. We keep the feet relatively close to the butt because if your feet are too far away, it activates the hamstrings. Wait, what's that? If the feet are too far away, it activates the hamstrings? Oh, cool. This is one of the things we're going to work on. But we don't want the lateral hamstrings, not the biceps femoris, to be activated. So how do I preferentially activate my semi-sisters, semi-membranosis, semi-tendinosis? So you can keep your feet about hip width apart, so relatively narrow, a longer lever than a normal bridge, so it activates the hamstrings, and then do this. Take your toes, heels are apart, toes together, and now bridge up and your medial hamstrings. You'll feel them. You'll feel them. You know why? Because they're working and they also are rarely ever preferentially focused on. So once you start doing these long lever diamond bridges, it will blow your mind how much activation is actually taking place right there. And it'll also kind of blow your mind how much weaker they are than the biceps femoris muscle. And that's kind of the point. We want to create more strength in the semi-sisters and have them catch up to the strength that the biceps femoris might be having. So we talked about anterior uh, tibialis. We can also add in posterior tibialis. So we start to, to see that particularly posterior tib, we'll see that in the eversion takes place because it's a, it's a very good, sufficient inverter. It is a plantar flexor as well, but it's one of those deep muscles that if the calves got too much going on, then the posterior tib's like, oh, you got this? Cool. So that is... Um, something that we know happens called synergistic dominance. Well, I want to preferentially focus on my posterior tip. Now I can do some isolated movements. Uh, one of the things you could do is just simply cross one leg over the other so that you're in a, um, a figure four, like sitting at a, on a chair, on a bench, and just put weight on the end of your foot, stay plantar flexed, and just invert and evert. That's one way. You can do uh, overpressure by holding them or wrapping a band around them and have them dorsiflex and invert against your resistance. Here's one of the things that I like to do is, and because this doesn't include me holding onto them, is I might have them uh, put one of those mini loops around their ankles. 
And then when they put their mini loop around their ankles, I'll have them evert. So I'll have them kind of point their knees out towards their pinky toes. That's going to supinate their foot and then have them do calf raises. So now they are supinated, they are inverted, and they're going through their plantar flexion to focus on that posterior tibialis. And what you could also do is you could work the intrinsic muscles of the feet by doing towel crunches, just using your toes and crunching a towel up under your toes. And then finally, I know this is a weird one. Mike, I have a client that does not like that I call this exercise this, but it is the best name I can think of. And I just call it knee wiggles. So you're going to do knee wiggles. You put that band, again, that mini loop above your knees. So you've got both legs inside the loop. You're going to go into kind of an active um, ready position, an athletic ready position. So quasi squatted, feet pointed straight ahead, hips shoulder width apart. And you're going to knock your knees together and you're going to abduct them apart. So as your knees knock together, your foot pronates. As the knees abduct away from each other, you're going to supinate. So here's the thing, like you're going to try to keep some of that supination, provide resistance in, in pronation. So as you start to pronate, make your feet muscles work. So as you pronate and the foot starts to flatten out, you're creating resistance against that. And as you do these knee wiggles, that's going to work the muscles like short foot. So you're working short foot, you're working the arches of the feet, you're working the intrinsic muscles of the feet, you're working the posterior tibialis, and you're working the glute medius. Knee wiggles. Do the knee wiggles. Uh, I'll see if I can post knee wiggles on my Instagram at some point so you can see what I'm talking about when I say it. Actually, I'll show you my entire hip series that I do for many of my clients uh, for their movement prep. All right, so that's an activation series for some of the things that are going on. What about integration? Well, integration, again, 15, 10 to 15 repetitions, slowly performed, controlled range of motion in good form. Stay with me on that one. In good form. Because I see people doing things like single leg balance, which would be the first exercise I talk about. Single leg balance with the reach. But the foot's not in a neutral position. The arch is collapsing. The stance leg knee is adducting as maybe the, the frontal plane reach is happening. So the, as the leg goes out to the side in the frontal plane reach, the stance leg, that knee can't knock. You can't let that knee knock. The arch can't collapse. You have to hold that. Otherwise, don't reach as far in your frontal plane reach. And if any movement causes instability there, then maybe you just need to practice Single leg balance, isometrically holding your single leg balance. Maybe that's what needs to happen. And that's okay because that's where you are. And you're going to say, oh, my clients, they're not going to do single leg balance. That's uh, They came to me for exercise. And here we are standing on one leg. Um, I, in my estimation, what we've done in the movement prep so far from the assessment and we're going through, we're about to get into a workout. We've not spent a lot of time. You still have a lot of workout to do. And we're going to learn how to do progressive workouts. But I'm going to tell you right now, many of my clients really enjoy some of the movement prep because they know the intensity that they're going to be working out during the workout. So let's ease into it, shall we? It's, we're not going to be standing on single leg balance all day long. And in fact, if we did, that would be so painful. That would hurt those tiny muscles so much. Nobody would want to come back because the workout's too hard. 
what the intensity no the outright <laughs> exhaustion that would take place but here we're just looking at shortening the foot frontal plane reach moving out to the side limited movement little to no movement in the stance leg all right good we can also do things like lunge to balance so doing a, I mean, all sorts of lunges, a reverse lunge to balance, a forward lunge to balance, lateral lunge to balance, rotational lunge to balance, depending on what they can do, because each of those pro all pro provide a different um, uh, intensity, a different uh, strategy, a different set of skills, a different way to coordinate movement to create balance when you come back to position into that upright uh, single leg stance. It all, all depends on what somebody can do and creating variety so that people are challenged in multiple planes. Step up to balance can also be done. Single leg squats can also be done. Challenging based off the depth of the squat as long as somebody maintains good form just as a prep and then you could get them into their workout. But all of these things are simply preps. These are all part of the warm up before you work out. And I hope you found it helpful. We went through the entire uh, corrective exercise continuum that NASM has. So we did talk about, well, what would we do for inhibiting? How would we lengthen? How would we activate? How would we integrate? These are all examples of something that you might see from an anterior view in an overhead squat assessment. And now we've developed some concepts of actual things that you can do as movement prep leading into their actual workout but that's just the anterior view we'll talk we'll talk in the future in a different episode about overhead squat lateral view we'll talk about overhead squat posterior view and usually posterior view if you're a cpt we don't talk about it if you're a corrective exercise specialist we do spend time talking about the posterior view and this one can be challenging the biggest thing is the hip shift so when you see a hip shift, that can be really challenging to address, which is why we don't do it in the CPT. All right, y'all, thank you for being here. I hope you found it helpful. I'd love for you to like, subscribe, leave a comment, share with your fitness friends and family. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so. You can email me at rick.richie at nasm.org. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickrichie. Keep inspiring people to fitness. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.